This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 370, a conversation with the Bunker creative team of Joshua Helfiakov and Joe Infernari. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 370. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Joshua Helfiakov and Joe Infernari episode. They are the creative team on The Bunker. Uh, this is a great episode. I got a chance to talk with both gentlemen about their work on the book. Uh, originally, it was self-published uh, on the web and then later picked up by Oni Press. Uh, it's a great episode, really enjoyable. They were a great uh, group of two guys to uh, chat with about uh, their current book. Um, I think you'll really dig it. Uh, if you haven't given it the bunker a chance it you really should uh it's a great series um there are some spoilers in this episode but even the spoilers withstanding i think you'll still end up enjoying it uh the book you'll you'll be more intrigued and you'll want to pick it up but if you haven't picked it out yet by all means listen to this episode and i think you'll be enticed if you've already listened to the bunker i think you'll enjoy getting a, an insight further insight into the uh the creation of the book by the two creators anyways without further ado let's jump right in first of all though you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com you can like the show on facebook rate and review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and listen to us on stitcher thanks again and let's just jump right into the episode with josh and joe Joe, Josh, thank you for joining Comic Shenanigans today. How you guys doing? Good, thanks. Seconded, I agree. So we're here to talk today about uh, the bunker. Uh, specifically, we have a, a, there's a new issue coming out two days before this podcast actually drops. Um, so first, I guess let's go back to the beginning. How did you guys start as a collaboration? Uh, we were so we were we're both mutual friends with Dean Haspiel and Dean and uh, our friend Seth Kushner. We're trying to put together a uh, like a sort of like heavy metal magazine style anthology, um, and I think uh, I think a writer had dropped out, and uh, they saw me walking across the room, and they were like, "That guy could probably do something, maybe." <laughs> um, and they introduced me to they introduced me to Joe, um, and uh, like I saw Joe's work and was so like flabbergasted at what he can do. Like I've never. Never in my life have I seen someone as brilliant and as talented as, as Joe. Um, so no matter what the project was, I said yes. Um, and we worked on that for a little while, and then it sort of stalled out. And we were just talking one day, because um, we'd become friends after, just from working together, um, just from trying to put a book together. Trying um, to work together, yeah. yeah. And I had um, I had a thing that I'd been kind of kicking around in my brain that I just sort of called him just to talk about. And, you know, after we talked, he got really excited and had a ton of ideas, and, like, we really we really hit it off on the idea, and at the end of it, I said, so do you want to draw it? And he said, yes. Um, and we had an in at a very prestigious publisher, and we showed them the proposal, which was, like, pretty well fleshed out. It was, like, a pretty thick document, um, and that publisher essentially said like oh this book is way too smart for the market like the market has no interest readers readers in this comic market have no interest in reading a book that's smart oh, wow. um, and I think we were both horrifically offended at that concept um, and so sort of almost entirely out of spite I would say uh, we decided like well fuck them we'll do it ourselves so that's what led to us doing it as a, as a digital comic um and it really, like, the, the most rewarding part of doing the book, especially at the very beginning, was after being told, like, no one gives a shit, to get to do it and have people very much give a shit uh, was such a, like, it's, 
it did a couple things for me, at least, which is that it, it showed me, number one, that nobody knows what the market wants. So all you can do is make stuff you care about and stuff that you like. Right, that's number one, and then number two, it showed that when you believe in something, you do it no matter what. Like when you know that something is the right thing, you always do the right thing. It's interesting because I would say that uh, that perspective is held by some of your characters. <laughs> yeah, I think because it's it's a I don't know what it is. It's a weird. I have this weird thing that like I think it's important. I think it's a lesson that's not often taught. I think it's an important thing that, you know, when you look at, like, the elections right now, the, the core the core of what's going on in, in the U.S. elections is a question between am I selfish or am I generous? Like, am I selfish or do I care about the world around me? And the weird part is that there's so many people who <laughs> openly admit they only give a shit about themselves and not about the world around them, you know? Um, and that's something we talk about. It's something that I feel like, I mean, Joe can, Joe can chime in. Like, I feel like it's actually in the book. Like, it's really, it's not subtext in the book. Like, it's text in the book. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the characters make the mistake of, um, they've been given this kind of problem of, of the things that they do in their life being possible. Is somebody shuffling cards? That was, that was me. Sorry, I'm trying to fix my fence while I'm, while I'm here. I'm very rarely at home if I'm trying to fix my fence while I talk to you guys. Sorry. I'll try <laughs> and be quieter. my car. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but the characters really kind of like lose sight of each other in the quest to sort of not ruin the future. And I think also, like Josh was saying about the elections, it's as much about, you know, like doing the right thing for each other versus doing, you know, what you want to do, your selfish things. But it's also sort of about, like, let's, let's like, really address the root causes of these problems. Like, if you really want to solve gun control, the gun control issue and the amount of shootings, maybe make people in this country a little bit happier. Maybe improve the general life of people. You know, attack the root causes, which is usually, like, discontent, disillusionment, powerlessness, and the things that people feel that they you know, in their life that it's just a struggle without a potential for change. Yeah, um, and I mean, at the core of all of that is inequality. Like, it's really... Yeah. It's been, I think that's become... I think part of why Bernie Sanders has, has sort of caught fire with uh, lefties like us um, is that at the core, he's saying that, like, no, no, literally every problem, there's not a single problem in the world that is not about inequality. Like everything comes down to the fact that it's we treat we treat some people like animals and some people like kings, you know. And that that and that there's no there is no reward. There's no reward for for being on the right side of it. And his whole campaign is really the idea of like no people should be fucking treated like everybody should be treated like a person. You know, and I think that's I think that's something that the current, like I said, like the the current voice of the country, especially with social media, is really into and really cares about. Uh, the question is if they care enough to actually vote, which is you know probably <laughs> going to be the undoing of the whole thing. <laughs> that's that's always a big question, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is sad because it really shouldn't be. I mean, it, everyone should vote. I've, I've never understood that myself. I, I figure you know. You, you can't complain if you didn't show up. If you didn't make yourself heard in that one way, um, then how can you ever complain about anything that happens 
from an elected official if you weren't part of the process. Right, exactly. Regardless of how small a piece you might actually be. Right. Now, well, it's in a, in a, you know, oh, go on. I don't want to, I'm going to, I can espouse the my whole, crazy left politics. politics. Yeah, on this political issue, it's uh, so much. I don't know. I'm sure it's true for Josh as well as it is uh, for me that it's very much in the foreground right now. Mm-hmm. When Josh, when you came up with the with the concept of the bunker and you started putting it all together and you did those initial five issues, when you wrote issue one, did you know that you were going to have people coming back from the past? Sorry, from the future. Like, was that always? Because I was surprised by that when when I was reading through it. That it was cool that they had you know these letters and everything, but then suddenly you had future people. Was that always part of your kind of initial concept? No, you know, it, we got to it because we realized it's it, it's tough to do a book with no obvious um, with no obvious villain. Like, and it really became about like the personification of evil in the book is so abstract. I think that we wanted to we wanted to focus down and really find like what is the representation. And I like I'm as I've I've now come to realize the more stuff I've written I'm sort of obsessed with doppelgangers I'm obsessed with the idea of sort of facing yourself because at the end of the day again and this goes to what we were talking about a little you know right, right 10 seconds ago is at the end of the day everything you do is about being able to like for me I think about the world as being able to face yourself every decision everything you know like like it's funny like whenever I hear about people cheating on their wives especially when they have kids like like look you do what you want to do you're a person can live the life you want to live but the thought of having to face like i can't think of the pleasure that would outweigh the suffering of having to tell my wife and kid or having my wife and kid hurt because of the thing that i did you know so everything everything when i look at the world and i look at the type of stories i want to tell and i look at the type of you know world i want to hopefully influence like that's i think the most important part is being able to face yourself and and in the book by having grady face every bad mistake he ever made every bad decision every potential every potential outcome that leads to shit um i thought it was sort of too powerful not to do how did you decide to bring future grady as well as um now I'm forgetting her name. The other future character, oh, Natasha. Natasha. Um, it was like I said. It was very much like again because Grady. You know, even though it's an ensemble book, Grady is very much the protagonist. And I thought, again, like of everybody involved in the story, he's the one who has sort of the worst. He's the one who has the, the worst outcome. Like even the characters who die don't actually have a worse outcome than him. You know. Um, so that was part of it. And then with Natasha. The idea, it really came from her character. It came from this idea that she, first of all, like, Joe, the way Joe draws her and the way Joe kind of brought, especially the the future version of Natasha to life, made me really want to use that character more. Like, that's a lot of it. But then again, it's, it's this character. As a character, she's the pragmatist. She's the one who's always saying, like, look, we do what we need to do. And so it's almost as a nod to, um, to the doofiness of time travel. Right, that the idea of like we're going to fix the past by hoping for the best is just not a pragmatic response. You know, the pragmatic response is I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure everything's fucking fine, and then I can just disappear in a. I think she says one of the issues in a puff of logic, right? Um, and so I think a lot of it, a lot of it came from that. And the other thing that you know, 
even though I write the book, like it very much is Joe and I talking about what the stories are and what we want to do and what we want to see. Um, and so a lot of times we have conversations like the one we're having right now where we talk about things that excite us and worry us. And from there, we, you know, like we sort of extrapolate story out from there. I want to get into that. What is the collaboration between you guys? I mean, especially kind of originally self-publishing it um, as, as a webcomic, like how much collaboration is there? Are you guys constantly talking about ideas? Are you doing kind of full script and then he's go, going off and illustrating? Like, how does that process look like for you guys? I think at the beginning, we was you know, we were closer at the beginning because I think over the course of a, uh, the life cycle of a comic or, you know, monthly or story, uh, there needs to be that kind of like hotbed of activity at the beginning to sort of like throw a lot of ideas and see what, what comes of it. And then I think uh, as we've kind of gone along, I think Josh has kind of like charted the course from there. Um, and, you know, generally... I get the script uh, and I love it. I pick up my jaw and I just think, "Oh my god, these poor characters!" And then I, then I basically will send out the layouts when I have them ready. And they're usually like a, you know, a tr- like kind of conversion of the script into whatever it is that I do. And then, and then that's when it starts to become. I mean, that's when it is a manuscript at that point. That's when we kind of have an idea what the issue is. And then from there, it just it gets drawn, and then you know. Josh and Robin Herrera over at Oni, they, they weigh in and, uh, you know, we kind of like, it's a combined effort by the end of the day. And now that we have Gonzalo coloring, um, you know, that's, that's been a uh, most recent addition to the process. And it's, you know, it's nice. The thing Joe does that no one I've ever worked with has ever done before is he, um, he letters his layouts. Um, usually what you'll get is when you get layouts, they have balloons with numbers in them. So you know, like, oh, this is the first line of dialogue, this is the second line of dialogue, and so on. But Joe actually letters the book so that when you're reading it, um, when you're reading, when you're when you're looking at the layouts, rather, you're actually reading the layouts. Um, yeah, it, and, at that point, and, it's already a comic, and it's, um, I think it does really, like, I think the key thing is clarity, and, and perhaps my, my drawing isn't always the most clear, but the thing I strive for is so that there's no moments where people are like, what is going on? Who is this person? So doing it this way, it kind of helps um, Robin and Josh and anybody else, uh, James, actually read it at an early stage. There's, there should, there's less guesswork as to whether or not the words jive with the images. Hmm, that actually makes yeah, a lot of it's sense. It's really... It's a very um, compare. I mean, I'm I'm really lucky right now in that every project I'm working on is with just brilliant artists who are more brilliant than me, with oh, a gosh. better sense of storytelling than me, who all um, who all do incredible work. But the thing that really does set Joe apart is that the book itself, just making the book, it's, it's is the third late. nipple, right? It's, it's the third no, it's, nipple. It's the third nipple. No, it's it's that it's really easy. Like it's really. It's it's a pleasure because by the time it comes back to me, it's not it's not my script or his art. It's a joint thing, and it's very much a conversation. And I think you know for production reasons that doesn't happen a lot um, for schedule reasons. And then a lot of times, like it's just you know what's nice with Joe is I almost never. I mean, I can't I can think of like literally one one page of art that we had to fight it out for. Um, 
the who, entire, you know, 18 issues that we've done. I guess I have to um, ask the question, who won that fight? I don't, I, won. I don't even remember the fight, honestly. It was like, it was literally like a storytelling. It's the, um, it was about the, um, oh, fuck, what was it about? I know what it was about. Because I remember, because it was very heated. Uh, it was about... <laughs> When there was like a, there's a staging, it was a staging question for the story where Natasha, uh, where Natasha is going, uh, Natasha is getting, uh, drugged and, uh, framed for murdering her uncle. Um, and it was literally like, Heidi? I wrote, Heidi? yeah, sorry. Oh, Heidi, that's, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, I wrote something on, I wrote something unclear and Joe, uh, drew what I wrote. And I was, and it was one of those. It was just one of those back and forth. But like, really, like the actual process of making the book is crazy easy. And a lot of that comes to not just Joe being a genius, but also because Joe, Joe does that lettering. And it sounds funny because it's such a little thing. But just being able to read the book stops any problems from from showing up. Which is like, from a process standpoint, is actually how I try to work. Like when I was, you know, when I was pitching for Marvel and DC to try and get jobs, I would always. Like, it's about giving them everything, like, as little as they need to know for sure whether it's the thing they want each time, right? And, like, having the ability to sort of have the process. By the time I, by the time we read the layouts, um, if there's a huge story problem and I don't catch it, like, that's it. Like, we already, we already had the chance to fix it. Um, and it's such, again, like, it's a super nice, it's a super nice way to work. I want to go back well, to... you know, I don't think that's, like, you know, enough, like, about my... Yeah, I letter the, the, the layouts, but uh, I do think that, in general, like, um, for me, like, the process is, like, I get the script, and then I think over the course of laying it out, I really kind of, like, reverse engineer it a little bit and kind of, like, see um, what's kind of going on in its DNA, and... Um, invariably, I feel like a great deal of sympathetic with the material, and, and um, I, you know, I think that Josh's writing is really compelling, and I, I feel like I've had the advantage of working with really great stuff over the last, you know, like eighteen issues. It's, I feel like uh, for for me, it's just as much like I get the script, and then I get sort of like a light version of what the issue will ultimately be, and I'm like excited about it. And then when I get the layouts done in the, that process, then I really under, I feel I understand the script. And invariably, they're they're very uh, you know kind of deep is not really a very fancy word, but they really are profound in a lot of ways. There's a lot of interesting things going on, and that's that's the thing that kind of fuels what I do once I get the script, and that's what you know powers whatever transformation that takes place once it gets on my desk. I want to go back for a second. So, Josh, you said that you, you, you kind of had this 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 concept for the for the story kind of rattling around in your brain. What was the kind of I guess the genesis of that? Like, where did this really come from? What was the inspiration for wanting to do this kind of story? Um, a lot of it came from just having a family. I uh, I wound up in L.A. Uh, I came out to L.A. to make a TV show that I had sold in college, um, and. I left Boston on September 9th, 2001, um, and drove through New York, on uh, left the morning of September 10th, drove through the day, got to Pittsburgh to my parents' house uh, at the end of the day on September 10th, woke up to September 11th. Um, 
and this had sort of two repercussions. One was the like whole like we were there. My my uh, girlfriend at the time went to Stuyvesant, um, which was the high school that after nine eleven was where people were staging things, right? So there's a very real possibility that had we just left Boston one day later, we would have been there, right? And then on top of that, the TV project I had completely fell apart. And I was sort of stranded. I was going to, like, I have a job in L.A. that suddenly disappeared. Um, and all of that are these things that almost, that had literally nothing to do with me. And yet, just by sheer happenstance and coincidence and all these things, like, that, that life set me on a path that eventually led me to my wife and my daughter and my career and all these things. My stupid dogs who are smashing into a wall to try and get through. Um, you know, all, all of that came from this this horrible thing that happened, right? Like this horrible tub thing. Um, or even more specifically, my ex was horrendous. Like she was just a terrible person. But if it wasn't for her being a terrible person, I don't know that I would have recognized how wonderful my wife is when I met her. You know, like I think the things that we go through that are hard shape us in a way that nothing else does. Um, and so that was really the, that's really the core of the idea for me is this question of if you could go and do it again, like if someone could tell me don't leave Boston, you know, I would probably have an okay life. Like I would still, I'd be on the East coast and I'd probably be working in theater and I'd be making independent film and doing all that stuff, but I wouldn't have this life. You know, I wouldn't have suffered through all that shit, but I still also wouldn't have the life that I have. And, And like that. That, I think that was really the core of it, and that's the thing that I think about. I think about it, you know, as I raise a daughter and realize that when I snap at her, you know, when she when she drops something or breaks something and I snap at her, like, that has a long-standing effect on who she is. That has a long-standing effect on who she's going to become. Um, and so the idea of, of sort of literalizing that into a story was really, really at the heart of what excites me about the book. Hmm. I want to ask, uh, so when, when you guys did the original kind of storyline, how did you get picked up by Oni? What was that process like? That's a big jump. Um, I had already been doing, I'd actually already started working on the life after, um, with them. Um, and I have another, the book that's actually surprisingly, it's been so long. Uh, the book that's coming out later this year with uh, Tony Fleece that I co-wrote with Tony Fleece and that he's drawing uh, called Jeff Steinberg, Champion of Earth. Um, so I'd already had those two projects sort of slowly eking along. Um, so I, And I've known James Lucas Jones at Oni for like 15 years. Like I've known him just forever. Um, we're very simpatico. We have very similar taste. And uh, we look like brothers, uh, which is weird as people walk up to each of us thinking we are the other. Um, also, occasionally Robert Kirkman. Um, everyone thinks we're because all not all white bearded comic guys and are Jonathan Robert Kirkman. Hickman. And Jonathan, no, uh, I don't know. I, like Jonathan Hickman's the grayer. He's well, got no, more, like, talking about our mutual friend who's mistaken. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, Riley uh, Riley Brown. Thanks. Uh, I'm every time he's I've met him like a dozen times, and every time he starts talking to me as though I am Jonathan Hickman. So it really is, it's like great for my ego and then suddenly not great for my ego. Um, and he's like, I gotta tell you, man, your books are genius. Like, you're just a genius. Like, you're just, you're doing the best comics in kind. I'm like, really? That's, thank you. That's so nice. And then he's like, oh, fuck, you're not Jonathan. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but no, 
so like so we'd known them and then we like we never talked to like we literally talked to one publisher who told us it's too smart and then out of vengeance we're like fuck you we're gonna do this <laughs> so we never actually talked to oni um and so the day the book was published go ahead joe I was just going to say, I think both you were kind of coming off your DC experience. Yeah. Uh, I had, had had my own, you know, kind of shenanigans with publishers. And we we both met, <clears throat> I think it was at a New York Comic Con when things were happening on the DC end for Josh. We had lunch. And the thing that stuck out with me from Josh was like, he said in regards to publishers, why are they all terrible? And... Uh, I think that was kind of like key for us to say, you know what, like in light of the what was going on at Panel Syndicate with Brian K. Vaughn and uh, Marcos Martin with uh, Private Eyes, we thought maybe we can do this on our own. And that was kind of like uh, that, I think, from on, to my mind, that was kind of one of the, the big reasons why we just sort of went and did it without anybody. Yeah, and then, you know, after the day that the book came out, it got huge. Like, we I, we really killed ourselves to do press and really get the word out about the book. Um, and so it was fucking everywhere. Like, the, the, week it, the week it launched, it got... I don't know that I've ever done a better job <laughs> promoting something because it was, it was, like, I it was two full-time jobs. Like, I was literally did nothing but promote the book for, you know, 18 hours a day. Um which is totally non-sustainable. Um, yeah. they, uh, but they, um, so literally the day it launched, we got an email from Joe Nosemack, uh, who is the owner of Oni, um, or co-owner of Oni, and he emailed to say, like, what the fuck, why didn't you show this to us? Um, well, it also said, too, that he had, he had bought it for everybody in, on his staff and said that this was the kind of comics that he wanted to publish. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we had a bunch of publishers who came to us and we sort of weighed all of our options and, you know, Oni, Oni made a really good commitment to the book. They really care about it. It's very, it's still ours. Like they don't own any piece of it. Um, and we get to do what we want, but with this great, you know, a great aid and that, you know, we're making sure that Joe's getting a page rate every month. Um, we're making sure that production is handled and that the books are beautiful. We're making sure that you know, like working with Diamond, all that stuff that I've done. Like I was a small, I did small press, and I don't want to do that stuff ever again. If I have, my, if I have my druthers, I will never do any of that stuff ever again. Um, you know, and so like to have that opportunity and to have them, and you know, particularly having the owner of the company be that passionate was really sort of the deciding factor for me. Like he was completely willing. He was willing to literally do anything, no matter how ridiculous, in order to do the book because he liked it and he cared about it, and he knew that he felt like it was an important voice that had to be out in the market. Mm-hmm. To get into spoiler territory, um, you you've killed off Adult Grady, um, which at the end of the last issue, which was I, I thought was a, a big surprise, and especially as you speak about him as kind of being the antagonist. Um, what kind of, when did you realize you were going to kill him off and why this relatively early? Um, (laughs) it's funny you say that. Well, part of it is we're coming to the end of this phase of the story. Like we're really, we're at a point now that was always, always seen as sort of an end point, um, and an end game. And it became, we like, as we were working on the book and as we were figuring out where we were, it became really clear that like, oh no, I know, like now we're working towards, a very clear end. Um, 
you know, and that's actually, I don't, we haven't told any, we haven't said anything to anybody, but this arc is actually going to be the last arc for a little while. We're going to take a break from the book. Oh. Um, because we're, part of it is we're both just incredibly busy, um, right now and we've been doing it. This is going to be like three and a half years we've been working on it. Um, and it's time like to take a breather. And so I, you know, there's always been this, this sort of hard, it's an ending that's also a beginning as they always say. Um, and it sort of made sense for us. It made sense for us to do it here and do it now. And I think we've built up to it. Um, and the reason that Grady two dies, the reason that future Grady dies, um, will become abundantly clear really soon. Um, so stay tuned. I think, and I think like I have one more script to go, uh, before the end of this volume. And like the, the, I'm super proud of the work that Joe's doing and I'm, I'm, like just the books are turning out so much cooler and so much better than I could have ever hoped. Well, I'll just say this: yes, uh, Grady Two uh, does die in issue sixteen, but I, I would almost kind of—I think the great little uh, thing that that Josh did with that issue was he revealed that Grady Two wasn't that bad. All along, he was just trying to protect his friends in his own kind of like merciless, sort of uh, brutal way. I mean, that scene with him and Amma in the bar is just kind of like, you know, all it's like, oh, now we get a little peek behind the curtain for Grady, too. And then, you know, very shortly thereafter, he's gone. And then I think as a, as a for our story, it's actually a very powerful moment because he, in his own way, has been sort of guiding the friends as much as they've been trying to kind of uh, chart their futures on their own and, and repair, you know, their potential future Grady too has been a big part of that and uh, I think it was a really great kind of like written moment to see you know Grady too to change his, the change our view of him just before he dies it was just incredible and you know I, I want again like part of part of like thematically what the book is about is this idea that you can't you can't fix people like we all we spend as much energy as humanly possible trying to not only make ourselves better but to fix the people around us at least i do um and the reality that you come to realize is that the only person you actually have control over is yourself and that's true even for grady with for the two versions of grady like the future grady has no control over what the younger version of himself does because that's just how life is and it's it's frustrating again having a small child holy shit like, just go to fucking bed. If you don't go to bed tomorrow morning, you're going to be a fucking monster. So go the fuck to bed. Um, you know, like, it's, it's that This stuff. goes back to Josh talking about the things he says to his daughter having, you know, <laughs> indelible marks. Yeah, just go the fuck to bed. And then I slap her in the just face. the fuck to bed. Not that hard. I mean, it's a light slapping. No, but, like, yeah, that's the... But that slap. is the... Like, you become... It's a thing, you know, when you hang out with other people who have kids... That's probably maybe that's the best example because it sounds less like I'm abusive to my daughter. When you hang out with other people who have kids, we go to Disneyland all the time, right? And you go to Disneyland with all these people and their kids, and like these kids are fucking dickheads. Like they're all dickheads, and all you want to do is strangle them, you know, and just tell them just fucking act like a fucking human being. But the fact is, like you can't make people act like human beings. You can only do you can only make yourself act like a human being, you know. And the idea of decency and how important that is. Um, and for, for Grady, for Grady too, it's this thing of like, he's had sort of limitless in his mind, limitless power. But the fact is like that power is incredibly limited, right? Just saying, you know, as much as, 
as much as Barack Obama will give these lovely speeches about gun violence and how it needs to stop, he is the president and he can't make it stop. You know, and like I think that's I think that's such a profound I feel like that's such a profound thing that, that you know, as much as nobody wants Donald Trump to be president, if Donald Trump is president, like that doesn't mean he's going to immediately be able to do all of the wackadoo shit that he wants to do because that isn't how the world works. You know, one would hope that there's enough people who stand up and make a difference, which, by the way, totally said during Hitler, during Hitler's rise. Everyone was like, well, we're going to fucking stop this lunatic. <laughs> that did not that did not end well for my people. I'll tell you that. Um, I want to ask a question about um, what uh, this is meant for both of you in your own way. Um, which character were you most uh, surprised that you enjoyed either writing or illustrating? Joe, uh, I'll go. I think it was for me. It was uh, Grady too. Was a real was a real kick because uh, I think I liked to imagine just sort of like his acting and his kind of demeanor and uh, I think he had these you know it also didn't hurt that I he had the, has these intense eyes that I always like to kind of focus on um, yeah in his own way he's kind of like I think part of Grady too in his own way is that he he gets shit done which is kind of like appealing um, but you know he kind of runs roughshod over over people as well but I think for me, Grady 2 would be the one that I kind of key in because I can just really uh, relish some of his uh, evil. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. Like, I, I like... What I like about him is he went from being very careful to being, like, just a fucking mess, right? That, like, he went from, like, I have a plan to, like, God damn it, everything's fucking wrong. Um, and I feel like... I feel like number one, that's super relatable because that is a thing that all of us go through. Like that's that's just part of life is we make plans and they fall apart. Um, you know, so I think I think that's part of it. And then I love I love the like how little fucks how few fucks he gives. <laughs> you know, like he because um, that's the thing is like he at the end of the day like he's literally moved mountains in order to get here and do what he needs to do and like fuck you if you don't understand it like fuck you if you're not going for it um and that he sort of understands his he understands the stupidity of everyone around him because it's such a big part of being cognizant of the world as you realize like look people are going to make horrible decisions that you have to deal with and that as much as we guide as much as we try to guide and and help like it's always going to fall fall apart It's a very very positive book. It's really, it's a a laugh riot. (laughs) Josh, do you think that Grady uh, 2 has the same sort of wherewithal that Josh Fialkov does? I mean, I think you have a really good sense of, like, human nature, and I think that comes through in the scripts, but I'm not sure that Grady 2 has, or old Grady, uh, has that kind of, you know, humanist approach. I mean, it would be interesting to see the sequence of events that we've covered in these issues told exclusive like where Grady 2 would be the first person point of view and his maybe his frustrations with you know dealing with himself as a, as a younger man and his friends and all of this uh, what do you think I mean that? I, I, I think the book I mean I think the book and the characters are about what happens to idealism you know we mm. 
we march through life and it's certainly it's true of myself certainly but like we march through life with this idea of who we are and and who we're gonna be and like you you wake up you there will always be the day that you wake up and realize like oh fuck what did i do um you know and again like the idea i think that's the part of the book not just the character but that's sort of the part of the whole book that i identify with i mean i i actually like i love daniel's conundrum sort of more than anything and part of it is it's very easy to write because it's very easy to understand um but the idea that like you will do great things but those great things will fuck everybody around like everybody not just around you but everybody on earth um and the idea of like you watch it you watch when people melt down on the internet <laughs> think about that where there's clearly no upshot like there's no there's no version of having an internet meltdown that uh, ends with you better off. Like, it's just how it is. And yet people still do it, and it's people who know better. You know, it's always people who know better, and yet they get to that point where, like, life has just, life has pushed too far. Um, so I think all that, I think all that stuff is the stuff I sort of most identify with in the book. And again, like, part of that comes from the fact that, um, part of that comes from the fact that like i think it's i think there's a i think there's an absolute truth to it Hmm. um before we kind of sign off what can you tease for not just the upcoming issue but i guess the upcoming issues before this volume ends um shit gets crazy which everyone says but like we get to a point like we the characters don't know it yet but we are at a point of no return um, and the question becomes what, what I like about the book and what I like about how we're, how we're wrapping things up is the reality is that this point of no return was earlier, right? That there came a point, there's a point in an issue you've already read that is the point of no return. Um, and so the last few issues are actually sort of exploring that and exploring what that means for our characters and what that means for, you know, the planet Earth going forward. And, you know, and again, I should add, because it does sound like it's a bummer. I don't think the book's a bummer. I think the book's actually, um, I think the book is actually really fun, and it's tough. It's certainly, like, a dense, thick book to read. But again, like, that was always sort of the inception, is we wanted to do a book that the more you read it and the more time you spend with it, the more you learn to appreciate it, and the more, you know, the more you get from it. Hmm. Final thoughts, Joe? Um... Yeah, it's going to be bloody. Uh, I think, you know, like the same thing like Josh said, yeah, we always sort of like, well, you know, maybe now that I think about it, let's not emphasize the violence and, and the bloodshed of this ending, but maybe there's something more meaningful to think about in, in closing it. And uh, like rather than, like Josh was saying, um, you know, like, like what's the lesson? You know, maybe there's something to that in the ending. And I think that's hopefully what people will take away once they've, uh, read this first kind of like block of stories. Are there plans for more bunker afterwards? I think uh, I think so. We're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see what our schedules allow. You know, the thing is about this book is uh, part of it is it, it spirals infinitely, right? So there is the book. The book has story for eons, uh, for longer than either of us have tolerance. I think. Um, <laughs> so I think I don't think it's the end of it. I think it's the end of it for now. Um, and I think what's nice, there's two things. One thing I haven't told Joe, which is uh, now we can have our books. If you take the covers of the trade paperbacks, we will have a beautiful little box that is made out of the covers because you can actually turn them. There will be 
There will be four of them, and it'll be so. The, nice. the last one will loop back to the first. Yeah, yeah, it'll be very nice. Um, but no, like having, it feels really good to have told a complete story and to tell a story that I think is really satisfying. And I think having done, having worked at the big two and having done a lot of indie comics, I don't think that's usual. I don't think you get to end stuff the way you want to end it. Um, and again, what's nice about this is it is, I mean, it is pretty definitively an ending while at the same time opening us up to be able to do as much more as we want down the road. One last question. How long did it come up? How long did it take you guys to come up with the title of The Bunker? We thought about it a lot, actually. A surprising amount. Uh, it was, you would be surprised at how stupid we are. Cause it was there, really... was, there, was, there was one great little piece. Uh, Bleeding Cool had, had interviewed Josh... And uh, he had said that he he mentioned a few of the projects that he kind of had in the works at the point at that time. And it, the quote was, uh, "I'm working on this thing called the bunker with Joe Fenari, which I'm not crazy about, but uh, you know." Da, da, da. And it, what he actually meant was that he wasn't uh, he wasn't entirely clear about the title, the bunker. And so there was like <laughs> while we were on it and illustrate, and I was illustrating it, he was writing it. We were kind of like, I think there was a time when I I was in Canada. And I was on the phone with Josh. We were talking about uh, what we were going to do for the website, and we were like, "We got to, we got to nail down this title." And so we, we were just like really throwing out the titles, really kind of like trying to chew everything up. And then ultimately, the only one left standing was still the bunker. After all of that, and I think it it's because it's about uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get artsy fartsy. The bunker get, is get not artsy. just the physical plate, but it's actually the. the thing inside us the walls inside us that make us who we are and so much of the book is about how do we change like how do you change who you're who you are how do you change your destiny um and so that was always that's part of i think why the title works and is evocative and, and all that stuff excellent well thank you so much for joining us today josh and joe and uh we'll look forward to the new issue which is i believe on stands may 4th thanks cool. so much thanks Adam. so much it's been a real pleasure all right, we, all right take care guys all right, see you later, folks. See ya, bye.